0: What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Worldly Church Girl. It's your girl, your host, Lillian Harshaw. On today's show, I have a young lady who went through a double lung transplant. She's an organ donor herself. She is now the CEO of One Breath Foundation. It gives me great honor to introduce to you Terry Palawa. So your story starts off with a typical American dream. You were married, had a family, a career. Life was growing really good. And then one day you were having problems breathing and you had to quit your job due to the oxygen level. Well, you had to be put on oxygen for 24-7. And then you were told that you had this incurable, incurable disease. What was your work profession at that time?
1: Um, in the beginning, I started doing accounting. I'm really good with numbers. I enjoy working with, you know, money and cash. I uh, enjoyed doing books. I went to college and to receive my accounting degree because I just loved it. I love what I did. Um, I was also in management as well, so I had my accounts payable, accounts receivables, collections, and I would do books for the company. Um, so, I really, really loved what I did. And um, it gave me great joy to help others um, that are in need to, because I would do taxes for people I didn't free. And I would just give my time to make sure that everybody was satisfied. So, I always took care of everybody else, you know? Mm-hmm. So, somebody gave me a project and it was at five o'clock, time to close. I would make sure that I would stay until that project was done. So if I needed to do budgets, if I needed to do a financial statement, um, for somebody, if somebody came in and wanted me to do letters or ledgers for them, I would stay until my projects were done. So, but I loved what I did. I started in retail sales and I worked my way up and, um, totally love the accounting industry and I decided to um, go to college so I can make a little bit more money and um, that's what I did and
0: I just loved what I did. So it was pretty a hard blow I'm sure when you received this diagnosis. Do you remember that day? I do
1: and I will never forget. Um, it first started when I um, I was up here in Las Vegas because I moved from Southern California to Las Vegas um, when my boy was only three years old. But um, when I received my diagnosis, I was misdiagnosed, first of all. I was misdiagnosed with asthma because your symptoms are shortness of breath. Mm -hmm. So the first thing they think was, oh, you have asthma. So I kept that diagnosis for years. And... I would, after work, I would go and work out. I was always at the gym. I loved to dance while I took dancing classes. So I would go to Billy dancing classes. I had tap dancing classes. And and, um, after I married my husband, we went up to New York. And because my husband's from New York. So we went down to downtown Manhattan. And I received, I got a really bad episode. I had a really bad episode. I couldn't breathe. I was short of breath. And we went to the hospital down there. And they said, well, there's something in your lungs. You better get this checked out when you get back home. So I did. That's when they did a open lung biopsy and a CT scan. And right away, they took those samples for my biopsy, sent them to the Mayo Clinic in Arizona. And uh, I received a letter. And then my doctor called me. And said, I need to see you right away. I read the letter, but I really didn't understand. I just, you know, I was like, pulmonary fibrosis, NSIP, ILD, ILD, what is this? You know, I, did, I didn't know. And no one's ever told me anything about any other kind of lung diseases. I knew there was lung cancer and I was afraid I had lung cancer. So then when I went to the doctor's office, uh, we sat down. And he explained to me that I had a disease called pulmonary fibrosis. And pulmonary fibrosis was a disease that has no cure, and then one day I would need a life-saving organ transplant. I remember kind of days like trying to compute, trying to figure out what that was. and like what are you trying to tell me? you know? And I remember I even, I even remember the dress I was wearing. I was wearing a, like a brown sleeveless, You know, summer dress, big leaves on it. I remember what I was even wearing. When he told me that, I was like, I could not understand. And he told me that I would have up to five years of life, and then I would need an organ transplant, and then he would start printing me all the paperwork about lung disease and pulmonary fibrosis, like out of WebMD. And when he gave me this stack of papers and put it in a folder for me, he goes here. That's it? That was it. Oh, wow. It was really sad for me. I could not, I was like dazed. I was like, I could not believe it. I didn't know what pulmonary fibrosis was. Kind of like, you know, said, well, this is your lung and this is your little interstitiums. And here's your little alveoli or avuloi or you know, the air sacs, and it's scar tissue in the scar tissue turns into like hard, like a rock. And it prevents the air from getting into the bloodstream. Therefore you need oxygen. And I'm like, okay, well, how did this happen? Because I'm a fit person. You know, I do everything right. I'm not on drugs. I'm not an alcoholic. I, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a wife. I'm a career person I sit behind a desk I don't do anything to harm myself how did this start how how did I get this disease you know and then why so it was like how did I get it and why did I get it those were my answers I needed to know more you know so I I would keep asking like why and he's like well it's kind of like an autoimmune disease we really don't know And I'm like, really? You you can't tell me why or how? And he couldn't. And he says, well, I'm going to send you to um, UCLA because, of course, there's no transplants here for the lung in Las Vegas. So he transferred my case down to UCLA. And then when I first went down there and I saw my uh, pulmonary specialist down there, he started to do all kinds of tests to see why and how I received this disease. Coming from the biopsies that they did, um, the letter says, I am so sorry. You are such a young woman because I, I was 40 years old when I was first diagnosed. And it says, I'm so sorry that you have this disease. And he started saying, well, you have a non-specific anesthesia pneumonia. But if it starts turning this way, then you have this disease, which is ILD, ILD which is interstitial lung disease, uh, autoimmune disease, like popcorn lung. And it just started saying all of these other little diagnoses. And I'm like, okay, now, what what is it really? And how did I get it? Here I go back to how and why. UCLA started doing all kinds of testing for me um, but before even we go into that I had to go home because my husband was working and I went home because I was devastated I was already on oxygen after they gave me the, the lung biopsy I was already on two liters of oxygen thankfully my boss let me work for a little bit and I went back, I went home and I had to tell my husband and I had to tell my son about my disease about what I had and how to explain it to them when I didn't even know what I had All I knew is I had a a terminal lung disease, and I knew that I only had years to live, you know, and Mm -hmm. I would have to fight for my life and get a a double lung transplant. My husband and I, I was just, I just cried. And he said, well, we're going to fight this. We're going to fight this together. And we had just gotten married. You know, we got married August 1st, and August 23rd is when I found out what my disease was. wow. You know, we were both devastated. We were both crying. And I said, well, I'm going to fight. I'm going to do whatever I need to do. So if I need to get a a lung transplant, then I'm going to fight and I'm going to get a lung transplant and I'm going to fight this and I'm going to be strong and I'm going to do whatever it takes. My son was only uh, what 13 years old at that time, you know, so I had a young boy and there's no way I was going to leave him. From there on, I was continuing to work. Even my boss was really good with me and my, you know, all my coworkers were very understanding that um, I needed oxygen and it was quick. I mean, from 2012, um, I lost my job in 2000 at the end of that year of 2012, like it's September, only a few months, August, only a couple more months I worked there and that was it. I couldn't work there anymore. Um, It was too much for me because I was so worried about my health. And so then I carried the insurance for my family. And also at that time, my husband um, lost his job because the housing went down. And he worked with the glass company who supplied glass to all the new homes. They were just closing everything down and he lost his job. And then I was no longer able to work. So we got onto the secretary of state and opened up his business, whatever funds that we had left in our savings and our 401k, you know, I paid the second off the house. So that way our mortgage payment could be so little and, um, rest of the money went into investing, um, and some money to go to Cobra and some money to go for my, um, my medications. Cause since I had no insurance, um, I go, up Wasn't able to apply for insurance up here in Nevada. Um, They told me, I'm so sorry. You need to leave the state and go to California or go to a state where they can supply you insurance. I had, like I said, my son was just probably just starting high school. And I left him and my husband and
0: went home to California. Now, while you were waiting for your donor, what did you have to do to pre- uh, prepare yourself for your um, for your gift? I mean, what mental, what mental, physical, emotional things that you had to do to prepare yourself for that?
1: So I took a lot of tests, and at that time I was already in a wheelchair, using more oxygen, so it was really tough. And because I was on um, prednisone, I gained a lot of weight, and so. I was a, I'm was only 5 foot, so I gained like 40, 50 pounds. And so I had to lose all that weight. And the way I lost it was I had to go to pulmonary rehab because you had to stay strong. Not strong only physically, but you had to stay strong mentally mm-hmm. and emotionally and spiritually. So when they said, okay, you know, you need to start losing weight now because I'm not going to submit your paperwork and transplant if they're just going to deny you because you're overweight. So I had passed all the tests and they even told me that um, I had a hole in my heart since birth,
0: but they said they
1: would fix my heart. I never knew this, but because I've always been so healthy Mm -hmm. and I never knew this. And they said, well, um, and they found that out. It's called a bubble test. Mm-hmm. And I found that out through the bubble test and they said, well, you got a hole in your heart and you probably had it since birth. I'm like, okay, I never knew this, but they said, well, don't worry when we go in to do your lungs, you know, we will fix your heart. And I'm like, okay. So that was the only thing besides my weight, but I was very determined. Um, I prayed a lot. Yeah, I, I believe in our Lord Jesus. I believe in the saints and I had my Bible and I read my Bible every day. I said my rosary, I, you know, I prayed, I prayed to Jesus Christ all the time and I would praise him because I would put my, um, my beats, my um, headphones on
0: mm-hmm. and a red
1: pair. And I would just like Hill song was my music and it was a song called surrender. And that's one thing that I had to do before I could do anything else was surrender. Yeah. Because I wanted to control everything, you know, I wanted to control everything. And this disease was actually controlling me. It was taking my breath away. So I had to surrender and surrender my whole body, my whole mind, my spirit, my soul to Jesus so that way he can handle it because I couldn't handle it anymore. I wasn't in control, mm-hmm. you know, I had to let my Lord Jesus be in control of everything. So that's the first thing I really had to do was surrender and said, okay, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, you, you have plans for me, you know, you know, the outcome. I don't, and it's your will. I took care of myself the best way I could. My family helped me tremendously. And I lost all the weight. I was at 190 and I went down to 140. Wow. Congratulations. And what did you do? Besides exercising a lot, you know, under, uh, um, under watchful eye, um, I had to cut my calories. Um, I drank a lot of water, lots and lots of water. I drank shakes in the morning and Mm -hmm. I would drink shakes in the afternoon and I would have a small meal at night and sometimes I wouldn't even eat a meal. I would just tell my mom to buy me a tropical smoothie or something like that, you know, something Mm -hmm. very simple. So no breads, no fats, vegetable juice, um, And I would do um, these strawberry shakes, like a Slim Fast or something like that. I did a lot of Herbalife shakes. And I was determined to lose this weight because if I didn't lose this weight and how sick I was already, I wasn't going to get my transplant. So so once I hit my mark, I even continued to lose weight. And um, UCLA put in my request for transplant. And because of my insurance, I had to get my transplant at USC. So USC accepted me, and I had to do some tests there, and they found out that I had acid reflux, and they were even preparing me to have um, surgery to fix my my stomach because I had a hernia and i my um, I guess my lid to close my stomach was almost all gone that's why i had acid going up and they were thinking and it wasn't really known or said to me is why i received the disease is because of, i had acid reflux and acid would come up and enter into my lungs and damage my lungs hmm. but it was never 100 percent verified okay but they were going to have surgery for me, but I was too, too sick to fix that. And they said, okay, we are still going to, you know, put you on the transplant waiting list and we'll do the surgery like a year after transplant. And I said, okay. And they just told me, hang on. And they put me on the list October, 2014, I was added on the UNOS list. And at that time, my number was, I think, in the 30s Mm -hmm. for my LAS score. And LAS score is lung allocation score. Okay. And um, I was probably in maybe 38. The higher the number, the better your chances. The lower the number, the lower the chances, but then you're healthy enough to wait. Okay. So you have to be sick enough, but healthy enough. Mhm. Um, but as soon as i was listed my health was really going down mine was considered like i know some diseases are really quick within months you need a transplant mine was within like three years it went down and but at the end stages of my disease it was really bad i couldn't I could hardly breathe. I could, I had really, really bad coughing spasms. Um, my oxygen stats, which is the amount of oxygen into your blood system, it should be about 88 and above. Mine was like in the 60s, which mm-hmm. is very dangerous. And I would be wearing a mask, a cannula. I had two 10 liter concentrators wide up. And I had a high regulator up to 35 liters.
0: Wow. Uh, Do you remember um, the day you received your call that you had a donor? Yeah, I do. I was in the hospital
1: because I was too sick and I needed too much oxygen. And my husband was there with me. And uh, we were watching America's Got Talent. (laughs) (laughs) It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I received a call on my cell phone. So I picked up the call and I answered. And it was my surgeon, Miss Amy Heckman. And she called me and I'll, she asked me how I was doing. I said, hanging on. And she said, well, I have news for you. And I'm like, yes. I'm like, oh, no. You know, mm-hmm. and she's like, well, I have donor links for you. And if I could have screamed, I would have screamed. And my husband noticed that I got excited. So he's like, What, what, what's going on? What's going on? My surgeon proceeded to say that I had to sign off papers because it was a high risk donor. My donor was on dialysis. She didn't tell me how she passed or how she was on dialysis, that she had kidney disease and she was in the hospital on ventilator support and the family was going to let her off of ventilator support at midnight and at midnight that would have been June twenty-four, two 2015. And she said, do you accept these lungs? I said, of course I do because mm-hmm. if I don't get lungs, I'm not going to make it through the weekend. And she goes, well, these are big lungs, but I'm going to get them in there for you. <laughs> she said, call your family and get prepared you're going to be in surgery in a couple hours i was like oh my gosh Um, because lungs have to be recovered and entered into the body within four to six hours wow Um, at that time we're talking five years ago new Mm -hmm. medicine is happening so it's like they can wait a little longer now Mm -hmm. Um, but at that time it was really fast for me so after i hung up I told my husband and he was so happy. I just started crying. I don't even know. I can't even remember if I prayed or not. I can't even remember thanking Jesus. I'm sure you did. I'm sure I did. I I can't even remember. But uh, I was excited. But of course I was sad. Because, you know, someone's just lost their life. Right. And said yes to donation to save my life. Right. So, of course, there's mixed emotions Mm -hmm. but I was happy that you know her and her family said yes oh I knew it was a young woman she did tell me it was a young woman so um so I told my husband and he proceeded to call you know my mom and my sisters and they were coming on their way and um my husband was so excited and just like five minutes after I told him the nurses were coming in they were prepping me You know, there was no time for wait. There is no time Mm -hmm. at all. And they came in and they started prepping me, washing me down. And my husband's on the phone. And then about, I guess, a little bit after midnight, I went into the OR. I remember the oxygen going on me and that's it. My surgery was about 13 hours. And I was on ventilator support. I wasn't really fully awake, um, but I can remember my husband being there. And my mm-hmm. I don't remember my son. I think I remember my mom. And that's it.
0: Wow. So, Have you met the uh, donor's family?
1: Yes, I did. I was privileged. It's, it's a privilege. So I contacted my OPO, and I wrote a couple of letters, and I had no response. And this was three years after transplant. And then on the fourth year, I wrote another letter. And they accepted. And I finally got to meet them. And it was right after Donate Life, One Legacy, uh, Donate Life. um, What was it? It's like a walk run. It's like one of their largest fundraisers. Mm -hmm. And I done it twice of course, I did, couldn't we couldn't do it this year because of the COVID um but I did it twice and I've always walked you know for my donor always always on my mind always so after that day it was only it was very intimate it was me my son my husband um and only her mom and dad
0: mm-hmm.
1: so we we met and Um, I was ready because I've been, I was always ready. I'm that kind of person where I'm ready, you know, I'm just Mm -hmm. ready. And I've been always ready. And we met and I stood up and I saw her mom and I grabbed her hands, you know, both of her hands as she she stood in front of me. And I just started to, of course, cry because it's so emotional. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, on saying Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Is all I could say. You know, that's all I could say. Right. And you know, she started crying, and I said, "Thank you so much for saying yes and saving my life." You know. And then I saw her, her dad, come, and I gave him kind of like a a hug. Mhm. And um, we sat on a table. Um, my husband said, "Thank you, my." And we all gave hugs and then they sat down and then we started talking. And I just told her that I am very grateful that I am here and I live every day in honor of your daughter, you know, in honor of you saying yes to donation. And that's how we opened it up with. And then she started asking questions about me. Then she gave me a picture. Oh her. really? And I just started crying because I knew she was young, but I didn't know she was that young. Her name was Maria. My first name is Maria. Oh wow. Her her second name is Bafelia mm-hmm. um, Quinteros. She was only 22 years old.
0: Oh, she was a baby.
1: Yeah, they're from um they're from El Salvador. Um, and they moved up to Los Angeles. And the mom told me that the day before she passed, uh, she was playful with her siblings. She does have um, younger brother, older sister, younger sister. So she had siblings. Mm-hmm. And she was playing with her siblings. She was very playful. She was very outgoing. Um, personality, you know like to have fun, like to have, you know, dance and be active. And she ate all kinds of foods because I asked her, I said, does she like eat because I was very picky and now I eat everything. (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, Oh, she ate everything. I'm like, well, that answers it because Mm -hmm. I was very picky and now I eat everything. (laughs) Um, So, and just the little things that she would tell me. And then she said, well, You remind me of my daughter the way your personality is she was beautiful very very beautiful beautiful person and when her mom her mom's name is maria Mm -hmm. and she said well she's told me that if anything were to happen to her that she would help others now you yourself is an organ donor correct yes i am i've been an organ donor since i started driving you know, since I was like eighteen years old, and I've never changed it. that never have I ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would need an organ
0: myself now, with all that blessing that you received, you turned it into an a wonderful organization as well. Yes. Um, can you tell us about that?
1: Yes. Um, I didn't um start the organization. So, I'm not the creator, but Mm -hmm. the creator was Gloria Rodriguez. She was also a double lung transplant recipient. She was almost 15 years post transplant, and she passed away last year of liver cancer. Oh, wow. So, and this is where I joined a support group because when the doc, when I was first diagnosed, when the doctor gave me that big stack of papers out of WebMD, and I had no idea what I was reading or knew about this disease I had to find a support group so when I went to the support group I actually felt a little bit more calm knowing Mm -hmm. that I saw post-transplant patients you know that people do survive and you know and they're living good lives and you know people that are sick don't feel like they're not the only ones like I did so I attended her group and it was a beautiful thing. And I'm so happy that I did. So when Gloria passed away, the board called me. She started talking to me about, we want to keep the foundation. And we thought that you would be the perfect fit to be our CEO president. I was like, really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Just maybe a week or two weeks before Gloria had passed because she hid her cancer from everybody mm-hmm. I was talking to Gloria and Gloria knew that I wanted to open up my own foundation she knew I wanted to open up my own foundation she knew this and she said well if you need help you, ne- you let me know you know so and you know we were all talking to her like weeks before she passed so when the board had come up to me with this you know proposition, Of course, I was going to say yes. I grew this um, One Breath Foundation and never had a website. And now we have a website, Mm -hmm. onebreathfoundation.org. We no longer have face-to-face meetings, of course, due to COVID-19. Right. But we do Zoom meetings now. And um, because um, we're not that large, I do have maybe um, 80 people in my group. Um, uh, we call our members every month. So we are very personal with our group members we're, it's not like you're just going to get a text or you're just going to get an email or something, you know, we make it personal and we call them because I know how it feels to go through, you know, an illness, especially a terminal illness where transplant is not guaranteed. It's not a guarantee and it's not a cure it's just a better quality of life. I'm over here and I give hope and I share my journey and you know let my patients and their families and their caregivers know that they're not alone through this. And I will, you know, we will continue to definitely help you know others in need like as if I was helped. So if somebody's going through transplant because I came from Vegas and I had to stay at a hotel in LA. Um, Los Angeles is very expensive. I know how much it costs to stay a month. It's like $3,000 a month to stay in a hotel down there. Jesus. Yeah. And a glorious foundation helped me out with that. So if anybody needs anything, they um, can fill out an application on my website. They, if they need any kind of assistance, like pre and post transplant housing, uh, if they need uh, a gas card, um, anything to help them prepare them for their journey, Mm -hmm. then we are here to help them. Even though we're going through this COVID-19, you know, ugly diseases don't care. I just had a person just um, talk to me yesterday about she was just being diagnosed with you know, pulmonary fibrosis. So, oh, wow. you know, even though, you know, everything is happening in our world right now, disease is still happening. Transplant is still happening. We're doing, well, not we're, but, you know, I'm still connected to the hospitals and I'm still connected um, to resources that, you know, I keep myself updated with everything that's going on in our community so I can give all this information to our members, I mean, transplant is still happening. Where we are here for all those that are that are in need. Not only for the lung, I have kidney recipients. I have heart recipients. Oh, I was just speaking to somebody today with liver disease. I mean, we have we help all kinds of people, and we're helping more people now than we have ever before because of the COVID nineteen. Yes, you know, a lot of people are not, um, especially our most vulnerable patients. Um, They don't leave their homes. So we drop off groceries. We drop off um, all the essential needs like um, toilet paper, tissue, hand sanitizer, mask. Um, We're dropping off all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're just helping more people than ever right now. You know, I'm so happy to be a part of this. That's
0: yeah, awesome. Really. That is so my, awesome.
1: It makes me smile, and it makes my heart smile, and I am just so grateful. I am so blessed, with, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ and my donor. Always yes. say thank you. Always thank you. Say thank you to my Lord, and then number two is always my donor. Yes. Now, you
0: know, what what message would you give someone who feels a little iffy about being a an organ donor? What I do is. I tell them my story. I tell
1: them, number one, I've been an organ donor since I was a kid. And I never thought about it twice. Because if I can help somebody, you know, even after my death, if I can help somebody to just live and be with their family, to be with their children, to be with their newlywed husband, then why not? Why not? It's so much better to give than to receive, Yeah, you know, because it's still on my driver's license and it will always be there. So even though I, if I pass and I can't donate organs, they you can still donate tissues to help and enhance lives, you know? So, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to help people live, you know, some bonus life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? And I mean, you don't need them in heaven anyways. I mean, you're whole in heaven. You don't right. need to take them with you. <laughs> <So> <laughs> that you is very true. You don't yeah, need to take right. them. You know, heaven doesn't need them. We need them here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I always remind people of that. So, you know, I don't like to, you know, push my my beliefs on people, but it's just the truth. And I'm going to I'm gonna tell you the truth. Right. You know, right. and I always tell people, you've got to believe in a higher power. I always say that. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta believe in a higher power, and for me, my higher power is our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Amen. Amen. You know,
1: so you you have to believe, and you have to have some faith. Yes. You know, to know that, you know, whatever happens in your life, we all know, you know, God's got the wheel, right? God's
0: yes, got the steering wheel. God, There's someone greater in control, and thank yes. God that is God. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I still believe in that because I don't. You know, I still worry because I'm human and I still emotional because I'm human. But I know already in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, that God has this.
0: Yeah. Everything's going to be all right.
1: Yeah. And and it has to be all right because he's God and miracles are still happening. I remind that of people today. I remind that of people today. You know, miracles are still happening, even though you have, you know, just receive you know this news of having a disease doesn't mean that you know it's you're gonna go away or you know there's not gonna be anything for it you know it's not
0: the final say,
1: yeah you know it's just it's you can't think that way mm-hmm. so it's like just have a little faith god is still performing miracles let me tell you he is amen yes he's still
0: performing miracles amen. And... so no go ahead so so um How can people contact you?
1: Um, They can contact me through my website at onebreathfoundation.org. They can also contact me through my email, which is onebreath2007 at gmail.com. They can also call me at um, my cell number at 702-813-1452. And they can call me on my One Breath Foundation line, which is area code 323-425-9861. I don't think I've ever had a guest give out their cell phone number. Well, because I am here. I am available. And I give out my personal number to everybody. It's even on my business card. You are
0: so beautiful. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes, because, you know, I do have my Facebook on um, uh, page, and I also have a Facebook group called One Breath Foundation-Gloria's Legacy, become a member, and that's a private group as well, because, you know, people want to talk about the, you know, the most difficult, you know, times in their life, and they're asking questions, very personal questions, and I keep that group, you know, personal. So it's a safe place for people to go and talk about, you know, their illness, what they're going through right now, if they're stressing, if they're having anxiety, if they're having major fatigue, you know, if they have a question for a transplant center, if they, you know, in on our website, on onebreathfoundation.org, you're going to read about my story. You're going to see a reference page. You know, you're going to see all kinds of of helpful things and a way to contact me there. And -hmm. we have other stories on there, other patients that are going through things right now and their stories are online. So, you know, if they could read their stories and they could say, you know what? I'm going through the same thing. I'm going through the same thing. So it's like, Mm -hmm. wow, that's pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. You're doing a great work. And I'm so glad that Brenda... Connected us because you're such an awesome woman, and she was right. Your story needed to be heard, it really (laughs) did. She was so right. I'm so glad that God blessed you the way He has, and how He is still continuing to bless you. I'm so happy for you. So so happy for you. Now, are you ready for your last question? Yes. Okay. Now, if you can have any song be your theme song. When you walked into a room, what would it be and why? A theme song, any song.
1: You know what came to my mind? What's that? Well, first of all, it came to like Queen. We will, we will rock you. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) that's, That's the first song that came to my mind. And the second one that came to my mind was Champions. We are the champions.
0: Both of those (laughs) with you.
1: (laughs) And you know what I always had for my ringer through my whole entire um, time that I was going through this? What's that? Was was Journey Believe.
0: Oh, really? That's a good one, too. Yeah. That's a good one, too. You picked three good ones. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, you can have all three. One for the (laughs) intro. One for like intermission and then one for when you come back. So yeah, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> love so, it. I'm, I'm
1: still a little rock star at heart. So Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so mm. much. Because I know you've been busy in many ways, you know, with the business. And then, you know, we talked earlier about your renovation. So I'm glad that you squeezed me in.
1: Thank you so much for your patience being with me and your understanding Uh, you're doing great things and keep continuing to do great things and get these stories out to inspire people because inspiration goes a long
0: way. Amen. Amen. Carrie, so much for being on my show you're such an inspiration and thanks for sharing your story and reminding us that with god all things are possible and if you would like to be on worldly church girl click the link below shoot me an email and let's see what we can do with that thing this is season four y'all i hope you are subscribed. if not What are you waiting for? Hit that subscription button so you will never miss another episode. And as always, thanks for joining your one and only Worldly Church Girl.